the letter to Philippian church is just, like I said earlier, has just been incredible. Uh, I, was, I was telling John A. Jesus a few minutes ago, I was like, I didn't know where we were going to go, but God has been so faithful just to teach. And for many of us, the section of scripture that we're going to read this morning is going to be Philippians 3, 12 through 16. It's a very familiar passage. You've already heard it a little bit in different ways this morning. But uh, I want you to try to look at it with fresh eyes this morning. Try not to remember all the previous Sunday school lessons or sermons or you know, memes or, you know, whatever you use to, to tell you about this verse before. Don't worry about that right now. Uh, and it's not because I'm going to break any news or make it all better or say it any better. But it's just that let's just come with fresh eyes this morning. Can we do that? So in honor of God's word, let's stand this morning and let's read Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16 together. Not that I have reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue my goal of the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way, and if you think differently about anything, then God will reveal to you this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Father, let this scripture come alive. This is your time. You say what you need to say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. I want to back up just a little bit and go in and back to verse 8 in chapter 3. So if you're, if you're there and you're still with me, go back just a few verses and go back to, to verse 8. And I want to start out by saying one of the things that we have to understand is that who God is and what God offers are infinitely more, more valuable for us to understand why, we, why Paul would come in and say, I'm not perfect, I haven't done anything, I'm not there yet, why would, he, why would he say that? Because I think all of us would really say, you know, of all the people in the Bible, Paul's probably in the top five, maybe top ten of guys that we would think have arrived. Would, would we agree to that? We would, I mean, we would just say he's, he's there. But yet here in this particular passage, he's saying, look, I haven't achieved anything. And what it is, it goes back to verse 8 where he says this. He says, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. If you're there with me, would you, would you underline surpassing value or whatever your translation says right there? Because I think that's a real key thing for us to understand. When Paul says, look, I haven't arrived yet. I'm not there. I've got to keep going. I've got to keep going forward. Don't question him. Join him. Because what he's saying is, for all the things that God has done in my life, for all the things I've been able to experience, I know, experience, I know that God has more. I know that there's something else, something more that we can achieve. Looking back, verse 12, it says, Not that I've reached out the goal or reached the goal, made, been made perfect, but fast forward to verse 14, but I pursue the goal of the prize promised me by God's heavenly call in Jesus Christ. So I want you to do something for me. It, it's, like, it's like school all over again. If you have a piece of paper, you have your notes, would you flip to wherever you can write some stuff down? I don't want to mess your notes up, but I do want you to do an exercise with me. I want you to write down something for me and think just for a minute. We'll give you a little bit of time, but remember the football games kick off in a little bit, so we've got to keep going. But I want you to write down some things and really think. Don't give me the churchy answers, okay? There's the disclaimer right there. Do not give me the churchy answers. You can if that's actually how your heart is, but don't feel like you have, because nobody's looking at this, okay? I want you to write down the most valuable things that you own. One or two things, the most valuable things, the things that just have incredible value to you. Maybe it's personal, maybe it's actually monetary. What is it, the most valuable things that you possess? 
The second thing, and we're going to keep it on the screen for you, is I want you to write down the most valuable relationships that you are a part of. Maybe it's, the, hopefully it's your spouse. You better write your spouse if they're looking. But, you know, what are those valuable relationships that you have? Who are they? And even write their name down. And the third thing is I want you to write down the most valuable thing about you. Maybe the thing that makes you unique or the talents that you possess. What are the things that you, valuable things that you have that you possess the valuable relationships that you're a part of, and the greatest and most valuable things about you. You got it? All right, it'll remain on the screen. You got about 60 seconds or less, and go. Write it down. If your neighbor's not writing anything down, just encourage them, hey, you're valuable, I love you. That might be the most valuable thing they're going to hear all week, so you might want to try that. Everybody good? Got a couple things? Valuable things that you have. Valuable relationships you're a part of, valuable things about you. Some of you are writing books. I don't need books. I just need a couple things. All right, you got your list? I want you to look at that list. Some of you would say that those things on the list are, are priceless, and if, if you were in a fire, those are the things that you're going to go get. Those are the people that you're going to go save. Some of you had a hard time with the third one because you, have a, you just have that moment. I'm not going to say low self-esteem. That just I don't want to judge you. But you're having those moments where you don't feel that value, but there are some valuable things about you. You got all those things? Then on top of all of that, I want you to write Jesus. And you're like, well, what was the whole point of that? Because I don't want us to get in the trap of things that were happening in New Testament times and the things that happen now where we think that the things that we have and the people that we have in our lives, and the way that we feel about ourselves, as valuable and as important and as up as, as it is in our chart, none of that compares to Jesus. None of it. You could take the most prized possession that you have, the most wonderful, life-giving, loving relationship that you have. You can think the best thought about you, and I promise you, when you put it side by side with Jesus, it pales in comparison. Because only Jesus could have that surpassing value. And that's one of the things as we look and say, look, I haven't arrived yet. I'm still growing because every single one of us, until we have seen Jesus face to face, we still have a race to run. We still have a plan and a purpose to live, and we have to pursue it because Jesus is saying, look, all the things that I am, it's greater than anything that you may experience. Because if we lock in on our valuable things, if we lock in on that relationship, or we lock in about how we feel about ourselves, we'll miss out on what the rest that Jesus has for us. And so we've got to do that. Uh, Chris, uh, Chris Curtis, who's a pastor in South Carolina, writes this, that we have to remind ourselves that what God offers us is infinitely more valuable than all human abilities, all achievements, all possessions combined because God offers us himself. Everything you put that whole list that you just made together, it doesn't even hold a candle to Jesus. That is why when we come to church and we say, let's worship him, and that's because he's that valuable. He's that good. When we say, hey, we've got to grow in our relationship with the Lord. We've got to study. We've got to get better. We've got to become more like Christ. We've got to come, become disciples that do whatever it takes to develop other disciples who gather, grow, and go. This is why. Because he is more valuable than anything that we could ever possess. He is more valuable. That relationship is more valuable and more life-giving than any relationship that we could ever be a part of. And no matter how we feel about ourselves, I promise you, the reason is if you feel really great is because Jesus created you. 
If you don't feel great, it's to know that Jesus created you and he loves you and he gave you a great value that you need to understand. You are not worthless. You are not a piece of trash. You are great and valuable. And how awesome it is to know that Jesus has that because he is surpassing that value. So how do we get there? How do we make sure that we grow? The thing is that really to understand as we begin looking at 12 through 16 is that we have to train and aggressively pursue Jesus, not just try. And I know some of you grew up in the 70s and 80s, and some of you have seen the remakes, and you're, you're getting into the new ones. But there's a great theologian that came out of the movies back in the 70s, 80s, and, and recently in the 2000s named Yoda. Everybody with me? Star Wars fanatics are going crazy right now. This is awesome. So Yoda had the greatest line in, in Empire Strikes Back, either do or do not, there is no try. And when it comes to our spiritual lives, Yoda has no idea what the theology of Jesus is. So we're not saying that we're not comparing him to Jesus. But he does encourage us in a way that we can when it comes to our relationship is there is no try. We need to aggressively pursue and train to get to know Christ. We are to grow in our relationship. It requires growth. It demands growth. It needs growth. Because in the relationships, going back to those people that you value the most, did you just get to know them accidentally and they've been your best friend ever since and you've never spoken to them again? You've never had any interactions. You've never vacationed with them. You've never gone to dinner with them or coffee. Have you just, you just, all you do is know them and they are your BFF? I didn't think so. The same is true with God. We don't just need to know him by title and by name. We need to get to know him by relationship and we need to absorb that relationship that goes, man, I want to get to know more about him. Don't read the things in the Bible that confuse you. Study that because you're going to understand the things that confuse you. God is going to show you how much he loves you. And then when he shows you how much he loves you, then the things that confuse you will then all make sense. Get to know who God is and get to know that relationship. Because as we grow in that relationship, it really makes us understand it and value more. I want you to see this, and, and this may feel like a slam on you, and I don't want it to be a slam, but I do want it to encourage you. Anybody ever felt frustrated in their relationship with the Lord? Don't raise your hand. We don't want you to feel like you're judged or anything like here. You can just simply, just in your mind, say, yeah, I, f- I felt that. Hey, and let me start with myself. I felt that. So here's what we learn sometimes with this, and look at this line right here. When we get frustrated, it's often because we're occasionally trying, not aggressively pursuing. If you think back, some of your deepest frustrations when it came to God and the relationship that you possessed with him, do you ever kind of parallel the times that you're spending with the Lord? So for me, I can tell you personally, and I don't know if this is anybody like, anybody like you or you're like me, but I can kind of match. When, when I'm getting frustrated with the Lord, my level of intimacy with God when quiet times and prayer times and Bible study is very low. So when I get frustrated with the Lord, God doesn't need to come down and speak to me because if I will just be honest and take a look at my life, I will see that I'm occasionally trying. We don't need to occasionally try. We need to aggressively pursue. That means that we've got to get into our Bible. And I know some of you, man, it's intimidating, right? You look at the Bible and you're like, how in the world do we use these words? I didn't even know these English words existed. Flip to the New Testament and start reading those words. They make a little more sense. And start reading about what God did on the cross. Look at the book of John and you can watch and you can walk through all the things that God has done and Jesus has done on the earth. You can see all that and you can be like, man, this is amazing. Because as you read through John, 
you can see what God has done, not just for the people in the New Testament era, but he's done it for you. And you start reading books like, in, like Philippians and some of the letters that Paul wrote. And I know they weren't written to us, but there's a lot for us to gain because it should remind us that all the things that they were doing as a church, they're us. We could, we could make some parallels between the, the, the climate and culture then and the climate and culture now. It is possible. Jesus loves us so much that he's given us his word so that we could see and we could read. Then read it. Use it. I know it's scary, but get to know him. Get involved in Bible study. My friend Jeff is going to be after service. He's going to be out there, and he's going to help you. If you want to get into a Bible study group, get a part of it. We call them life groups here. Tell Jeff, say, I want to, I want to, I want to train, and I want to pursue Jesus in a group with a group of people and study God's Word. Jeff will be like, well, tell me about your schedule. Let's see if we can find you a group. Do that because it will be amazing. But aggressively pursue that relationship with him. 1 Corinthians 9 26 and 27 from the New Living Translation says this. It says, so I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just a shadow boxer. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that preaching to others, I might myself be disqualified. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. He's saying, look, this isn't just lip service. There is actual training that goes involved, much of which you don't see. I don't just sit there and be like, well, I think God, let's, God's going to, oh, here's what God wants to say today. No, Paul is sitting there with scriptures. He's sitting there with letters and correspondence. He's there in prayer time. Much of what nobody gets to see, and he is training his mind, and he is training his spiritual life going, I've got to be healthy. I've got to be functioning so I can lead other people to Jesus. And that should be the case for us. If we, the fellowship, want to be a church that does whatever it takes to develop disciples who gather, grow, and go, that means that we have to become disciples ourselves before we can leave anybody else, lead anybody else to that. We've got to grow. We've got to train. We've got to start down the journey. We've got to do that through running with purpose in every step. And again, going back to the casual nature of what we say, you know, don't, don't just try, but actively pursue. I want you to look at something, because we're all reading from different translations. But I want you to look at something. These are just the titles, just the titles, the subtitles in the, in the section of Scripture where we're at in different translations. So the first one here is where I am. I'm reading out of the Christian Standard of the CSB, reaching forward to the goal. The English Standard Version says straining toward the goal. New Living Translation says pressing toward the goal. And the Good News Translation says running toward the goal. Do any one of those four give you the idea that it's just an occasional try? There are no participation trophies coming out of this one. Nobody gets to just be there because you just happen to be in the stands. It's going to sometimes sting. It's not always going to be rainbow and sunshine. But the beautiful thing is when Paul says, look, it's not just straining and reaching and pressing and running. There is a goal and there is a prize. And the prize came from God who is calling us through Jesus Christ. And if you will strain and you will run and you will press and you will you will pursue. Then I promise you this, whether this side or that side of eternity, you will achieve a prize that you never saw coming. And you will achieve and you will receive something more so than a possession that is valuable on this side of the uh, eternity. You will find and receive something that is eternal and value on both sides, and that is Jesus. That is his relationship with you. That is his love, his salvation.
We've been trying to do it our way, and our way's not working. Let's do it his way and see what happens. Is it going to take some sweat, blood, tears? Prayerfully not, but in reality, yes. Am I always going to agree with what the Bible says? No, you're not. You're human. We have fallen because of sin. But when we identify with Jesus Christ, what you disagree will begin to just disappear. And what Jesus says will become the way you think, the way you feel, the way you act, and the way you live your life. But we have to be willing to do that. Philippians 3.13 says, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. Paul is pressing. He's aiming for something. And in many ways right here, he's aiming for perfection. And I know some of you are like, well, there's no perfect people. And that is true. That is, that is absolutely true. But he's still aiming for perfection. And so as we're aiming for perfection ourselves, growing and getting better, I want you to see something one of the commentators wrote here. They say this. They said, perfection does not mean sinlessness. It means maturity. So as we're aiming for perfection, as we're striving and we're straining and we're running and we're pressing, that doesn't mean that we're not going to fail. It's not going to be every day perfect, but it does mean that as we press and as we move forward, as we do whatever it takes, we get better, we get more mature, we begin to understand and we make fewer mistakes, we make fewer sins, we do less things that are about us and more things that are about the kingdom, and we mature in that relationship. So if you're in that situation, you'll be like, Scott, I just messed up so much, and I, I, just, I just never really amount to anything. Guess what? We're all in this together. Welcome to the club. The only thing that separates some of us from the others is we're just pressing on. It's not because we're any better. It's just we're pressing on. We know there's more. We know that tough times are going to come. We're going to press on. We know that not every day is going to be a rainbow and a sunshine. We're going to press on. Because when Jesus becomes more of who we are and we develop and we grow and we put that relationship in our hearts and that becomes the center of our lives, then we realize we're maturing in Christ and perfection will be achieved when Jesus says, come on home. Man, that sounds encouraging. I want to be a part of that. The way we view ourselves, should have a whole, we should have a holy discontent and dissatisfaction that motivates us to pursue Christ at all times. It's hard sometimes because of the past. Will we agree to that? But I want you to be encouraged because one of the main points that we've got to see in the Scripture and that we've got to communicate to you is that our past should not, our past should not define us. Our past should inform us. All the things that we've experienced, good, bad, and a lot of in between, so just inform us, not define us. Some of you, that is an encouragement because you're like, oh, thank God. That all the things that I did when I was a teenager, all the things that I did back in the day, all the things that I know that nobody needs to find out, and I'm praying that nobody ever uncovers that. When Jesus comes on the scene and grace takes over, it doesn't even matter anymore. But it does help us in the discipleship process. Because while it may not define us, it needs to inform us so that we can learn and we can grow and we can help others achieve the same grace, mercy, love, salvation that we ourselves found. We need to allow it to inform us. Philippians 3, 13 through 15 says, One thing, forgetting what is behind but reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue my goal of the prize promised by God's heavenly call. Therefore, let us that are mature think this way. We need to change the way we think going, hey, that's that time in my life 
Whether I caused it or it was caused upon me, it doesn't define who I am. Only Jesus can define me. Only Jesus can define me. I'm pressing on. Those are the things that we need to do. How many of you, how many of you had trophies? Anybody had trophies when you're not the participation kind, because we got a bunch of those now. But you had trophies, like your, your Little League team won. Maybe you got the blue ribbon in a writing contest or an art science exhibit. You're the one the volcano actually worked and didn't blow everybody up. You got those? Let me tell you a quick story, and don't judge me for my ego, because hopefully God has uh, relieved me of that and forgiven me. But my first office as a young youth pastor in Grand Prairie, Texas, I literally had every trophy all the way from like peewee to some that we won in college. I had them all displayed in my office. Every single one. Because I thought, you know, if you came in and saw a bunch of gold, you thought I'd be pretty cool. Now, what helped me with that is one day Callie took one of, our, one of my trophies uh, that I did actually prize and possess, but I don't anymore, so it's not that she needed forgiveness. I was, it's God revealing it to me. But she took it to school with her preschoolers one day, and next thing I know is Callie came in. She's like, hey, um, that trophy, it's in like four or five pieces. Okay, good to know. But here's the thing about trophies. Trophies tell part of a story, but they don't define who I am. They just define a moment. And some of us, we have trophies of positivity, but we also have, some of us have trophies of negativity as well. You ever think about that? Some of you have a trophy that it's, it's not a literal, it's a figurative trophy, but it is your past, and you are allowing it to define who you are, and you are holding on to it, and I mean, you have a death grip on that thing. Can I tell you, good or bad, we need to drop our trophies at the feet of Jesus and say, no more, no more am I going to let a moment in time dictate who I am in our relationship. The only thing I'm going to allow to dictate our relationship is you. So I'm laying my crown down. I'm laying my trophies down. And whatever this is, whether it's good or bad, whether it felt good or it hurt, like you know what, Jesus, I am laying it at your feet because the only thing I want to feel in this relationship is me and you. I got to lay it down. When we dwell on the past, good or bad, we fail to see that Jesus has way more for us than we can presently see. If we dwell on the things that have happened, then we've got nothing you guys, I've used this scripture so many times. It's like every time Scott preaches, this scripture must come out. So here you go. I love Isaiah 43 because it is so critical to who I've been over the last few years. But it's the one that says in 43, 18 and 19, it says, Do not look at the past events and pay no attention to the things of old. Look, says God, I'm about to do something new. Even now it is coming. Do you not see it? Indeed, I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. You need to just absorb and just love the fact that whatever you've been through, God has something new for you coming. And it may take a week, it may take a month, it may take a decade, but God has something for you, and we are to press on to whatever God has and be excited about it when it happens. Don't be comparing each other to one another. Be like, well, so-and-so got theirs in a week, and this person got it as soon as service was over. What God has for you is for you. And whether it takes it, a minute or it takes a decade, let's celebrate it. Let's celebrate and see what God does. I want to show you something. The pastor at the church where we, we, we learned about this sermon series, he, he used this slide, and I've created it in two different ways. This is his right here. But the part, first part is, is forgetting the past. 
And this one at the particular moment is forgetting the past bad. Okay, so stay with me just for a moment. My bad, your bad, it's bad. Everybody good? Because when it's bad, it usually falls into three categories. My bad, your bad, or it's bad. But here's the distinguishing thing, the way that we can press on and we can really allow the grace of Jesus to take hold. When it's my bad, I usually just absolve the guilt. And I just absorb it, not absolve it, but I absorb it and I take it in and I wear it like a badge of honor. I will hide, I will cry, I will bring you down with me because I feel guilty. Sometimes I will act in ways that are just unnatural and just crazy because I just feel so guilty. I'm going to try to make up for it. But the thing that really helps us is if we press on in our relationship, our guilt needs to be replaced with repentance. Because the things that are your bad, Jesus covered that on the cross. And you need to release it and let go. You can't forget it. It still happened. You can't just act like, you know, you're just, I had amnesia from here back there. I'm just moving on. It happened. Embrace it. Learn from it. Grow from it. But do not dwell in it. Repent of it and let God use it to help somebody else pull them out of those situations. The second bad is your bad. And some of us love to dwell in here. We love to dwell in your bad because if I'm talking about your bad, then I don't have to worry about my bad. And I will dwell in your bad all day long because it makes me feel better. But my bad, where it guilt, your bad helps me build resentment. And I will resent you even though I will be nice and sweet to your face. Behind you, I will resent you because it is your bad. You know, for us, sometimes we need to let people go and we need to learn to forgive. Because the more we resent them, the, the more that we increase the space of them to see the grace of Jesus. And you know what's sad, church family? If you've been in church, if, if you're new to church, I want you to turn off for like just a minute. Those that have been in church for a long time, you know what the problem is with modern day church? We love hanging out here. We have got to hang out here. We have got to show people, and it's not our forgiveness. It's the forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ. We have got to bring it down in and allow people to experience it for themselves. And then the other one is it's bad. It's bad, or that situation that never seems to end. It's not your fault. It's not anybody else's fault. It's just the situation that you find yourself in, and it leads us to bitterness. And some of those situations not only leave us to bitterness, it leads us to not being able to see Jesus because the bitterness is so big. It is the great wall of bitterness, and we don't need that anymore. If it's bad, we need to replace the bitter with hope. Because the Bible tells us the hope of Jesus is the life-changing, life-giving thing that we need. I can try all that I want. I can throw all the money. I can throw all the relationships. I can throw everything at it I possibly can. But only the hope of Jesus will take care of situations when it's bad. Because it's the only thing that will help things make sense. The other side of this, because some of you are like, oh, I'm good. Because I don't blame people and I don't take blame for anything. And everything is rainbow and sunshines. Well, let's get to you. Forgetting the past good, my good, the things that I do, all the things that I'm good at, all the things that everything in my life and circle is good, that brings a sense of pride that is dangerous and, and really prevents people from seeing Jesus because it's all about you. Bring me the glory. We need to become humble. Because maybe it is you're good, and you did some great things, but you know why it's good? It's because Jesus allowed it to happen. Do not allow your good to replace actually what Jesus did. 
Jesus has been so good in so many ways. He gives us the opportunity to experience and be a part of so many amazing things. Do not take Jesus' credit. Be humble. Stay hungry. Chase after Jesus. When it's your good, we don't need to play the trap of comparison. Man, my good is way better than his good or her good. Man, I must be good. Guess what comes back into play? But you know what? When it's your good, I need to become a a cheerleader. I need to cheer you on and celebrate you because cheering you on helps me stay humble. And if I cheer you on, then I can raise your arms when it is bad, and we're going to remind each other of all the good that Jesus has been doing. I don't need to compare. I don't need to contrast. I just need to celebrate. And some of the people in your life have had some good things going on, and I'm telling you, if they only went this far in their relationship with Jesus, then you celebrate it like it's a country mile. If it is just something going on, and it's just something good out of a lot of bad, then you celebrate it and you cheer it on because we need that. We need that affirmation. We need that community. We need that teamwork. And I promise you, if we do it the right way, we get to see Jesus in the good. And then it's good. It's good It can be the very dangerous trap that every church faces at any given time. Because when it's good, we don't need to do anything else. We just need to stay right here. I experienced something good, then here is where I'm going to stay failing to see that Jesus has this entire globe for us to go experience. So when it's good, don't stay put. This is where Paul says, press on. Because if we press on, then guess the thing? There's more to be seen, and there's more people to bring in. Because imagine if the gospel stopped with us. Heaven would not be as fun as it's going to be. And the grace of the Lord would then become limited, and I don't need that, and I don't want that. And you don't want that. I need Jesus' grace to be unlimited so everybody we love, everybody we care about, everybody we come in contact with, everybody gets to experience the goodness, faithfulness, and salvation of God. So then for us, it's time to live up to what we know. But not just to what we know. I I put it very specifically. Live up to God's truth. Not your truth. Not somebody else's definition of truth. To God's truth. Where do I find God's truth? And this beautiful thing called the Bible. And whatever the Bible says I have, I have. Whatever the Bible says I need to do, that's what I need to do. Whatever challenges are faced, the answer I need is right here. I need to live up to this truth. I need to make sure that whatever God says, I'm growing in it. That's why Paul writes in Philippians 3.16, In any case, we should live up to whatever truth that we have attained. Notice he didn't use that as if it was over. We learned all we needed to. Whatever truth we have attained. We never pursue God out of of our own initiative. We pursue God because he first pursues us and showed us that we had a need for a Savior. And we need to live that out because there are people that need that encouragement. They need that challenge. They need that encouragement to say, there's somebody else out there that loves you even more than I do. His name is Jesus. Because that will be the first time they will realize, hopefully, that Jesus is pursuing them because he sent you to them. John Acuff is a speaker, author, somewhat of a comedian sometimes. He talked about worrying about when you don't have, doing things when not everything is perfected. Anybody ever worry about that? Like if you don't have it all figured out, if you don't have every detail of that plan figured out, we're not doing it. You will wait until everything is perfect. John Acuff says this, and he was talking about authors, but I feel like it applies to what we do in our spiritual lives. 
John writes this. He said, look, 90% perfect and shared with the world always makes more li- uh, always changes more lives than 100% of perfect but stuck in your head. So if you've been waiting for the perfect time, the perfect time is now. If you wait for the perfect time, you have missed said perfect time. I don't know everything. It's okay. There's not a single person in this room that knows everything. We could put all of our collective wisdom together. Guess what? We still don't know everything. But if I will live out what I know, and you will live out what you know, and the next person, the next person, revival breaks out because lives are getting changed. And if we'll do it together in community, and we'll do it together in partnership and love and companionship, we really will flip this town upside down because we will live out so much truth that the world cannot help but take notice and let lives change. Paul writes in his letter to the Roman church, he says this in chapter 10, verse, four, chapter 10, verse 14 and 15. How then can they call on him who they have not believed? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Paul challenges us to run the race. You can run at your own pace. Anybody ever paid attention to a a marathon or a half mile or a fun run? Every single person is running at their own pace. Many times the victory is not the, the finish line with the big medal. It's that you made it to the finish line at all. And you set a personal best. Or with some in a hot race, because I know Nashville uh, Marathon was pretty hot recently, that you just made it to the finish line at all. There was a marathon just the other, just the other week, just this last week in Dubai. They pushed back the starting time to midnight because they thought it would cooler. At, at midnight, it was over 100 degrees. Sam and I were talking about this week, 60 people started the race, 40 finished it. 68 people started it, 40 finished it. Sometimes it's not about if you won, it's just that you finished. And here's the beautiful thing about Jesus. I'm not comparing it to a participation trophy, but you run the race that Jesus has has given to you and the purpose in which Jesus has given given to you, then when you step foot in heaven, the first words out of his mouth are going to be, well done, my good and faithful servant. Run your race. Be encouraged. So I want to encourage you now this morning as we wrap up, as we begin to pray. Have you ever experienced that you understand the full, infinite value that God possesses? Have you ever experienced the infinite value that he he has for you? Maybe this morning you need to give your life to Christ. We're going to have some prayer partners on the sides and the mezzanine. You know, one of the things they would love to pray with you about is getting to know Jesus personally. Others will be around. We would love to talk to you. But do you understand that value? Are you aggressively pursuing? Or are you just casually trying? This may be a morning. You just need to commit to the Lord. Hey, look, I've tried and I've tried and I've tried, but I've never pursued. So I'm done trying. And I'm just giving you everything I got. If you'll take it and multiply it for your kingdom, then God is always going to be good. Some of us, we have been dwelling in our past. And you know what you need to do this morning? You need to just drop it at the foot of the cross. Maybe you need to come to the altar and just leave it right here. Maybe you need to pin it to the cross and say, my past has been, has been set free by the cross of Jesus. And whatever the case may be, you leave it with Jesus and let him take it. Because I promise you, while it won't go away, Jesus can use it for his kingdom and his glory, but you've got to give it to him first. You've got to let him have full control over, over it. And the last thing is, are you ready to, and willing to live out your relationship with Christ in full view of others? 
Some of you think it's easy because I'm a pastor. It's easy to live out in full view. I'm telling you right now, it's not. Never has been. And I'm not, any, I'm, not, I'm not that great. But I do know this, that whatever I put into Jesus' hands, he will multiply it for his kingdom and his glory, and it will change somebody's life. Not because we're good, because he's great. Let's run our race. Father, this morning as we pray, as we come and we just continue to seek you and we want to respond to your goodness and faithfulness, God, would you just forgive us if we have been doing things our own way, our own style, for our own purposes. We do it, God, because some of us don't understand the value that you have and the value that you've placed in us. And so if today's that day where we need to give our life to you, then by all means, God, would your Holy Spirit just continue to speak and would we have the boldness and courage to reach out to say, hey, I need that relationship with Jesus. Some of us, God, we have just been just kind of checking the box along the way. So, God, today we want to commit to you in front of our friends and family, maybe just sitting there privately, that today is the day I stop casually chasing you and I all out abandon everything I have and I run after you. God, I know it's scary because the things that I'm going to start thinking about is the devil's going to use all the things in my past, good and bad. But, God, don't let that stop me from being in that relationship with you. And God, give me the freedom and the willingness and the courage and the boldness to live out my life, not worrying about how much I know, but just living out what I do know so that people can experience your love and your grace and your mercy for themselves. Father, help me to press on, forgetting what is behind and pressing on to what is ahead for the prize that is given to me by the call of Jesus Christ. As we start this response time, you want to come down front, you come on down. we got prayer partners. You take communion with the Lord. You can just come and just be with the Lord for a few minutes. Whatever you need to do, we open and invite this time with you. Jesus, this response time is you. We pray that you will speak loud and clear. In your name we pray. Amen.